Welcome back to the Connected Families Podcast. I'm Stacey Bellward. I'm so glad you're here. Today, we decided to pull one of our favorites from the archives. It was an interview we did with Heather McFadgen on her podcast a few years ago, but we think it will be a blessing to you as you navigate parenting during this holiday season. So sit back and enjoy as Jim and Lynn have a conversation with Heather about sibling conflict, relatives who judge your parenting, and more. Hey, Jim and Lynn, welcome to the God Center Mom podcast. It's great to be back with you. Yeah. We are so excited to have you and desperate for your... (laughs) (laughs) Holidays can do that, can't they? Oh, my stars. Yes. We're just, I mean, we're really just starting. So when you say we, Heather, are you talking about uh, we, your listening audience, or are you talking about something more specific than that? (laughs) We, as in the general mom sigh of here we go. Here we go. Hold on till 2016. Here we go. It just, you oh, want yeah. to enjoy it and you want to enjoy your children. And yet there's so much to be done and the, only the mm-hmm. same 24 hours in a day that you had before. Yeah. So you just rev up. I feel like you got to kind of brace yourself. And for me, what I was telling with y'all before we got on the call is uh, just even getting ready for Thanksgiving. And we had, you know, stuff for school leading up to it. And then I got a pack because I was going on a road trip. And just there were so many tasks to do that the amount of time I could actually connect and be kind (laughs) to my children was very small. But now that we're here, I have huge chunks of time to connect with my children. And so I just thought it'd be great if you could just give us some wisdom on the whole topic of connecting. I know it's in your tears. I'd love for you to just say once again your your framework that you use at Connected Families, and then we're going to narrow in on that connecting piece. Yeah. Um, well, as you talk, there's there's just so many. I mean, you're you're on this roller coaster, right? I'm of, on this roller coaster. Yes. Of of it's it's it, oh it's oh this is the greatest day of our of our month so far, and then oh this is the worst day of our month so far, and then oh this is the best minute of our month so far, and yeah. and the worst. And you know, honestly, before before we start talking about maybe ways that we could think our way or pray our way out of that, I just think that we should give you and any other mom listening permission to, to just be in that and be okay. Like that's life. Yeah. It's okay. It's just the way it is sometimes. And just knowing that you don't have to m- make it all work and that God's in it, no matter whether you're on the peak of the roller coaster or the valley of the roller coaster can sometimes give the sort of perspective needed to just get through it with, with some hope. Yeah. That's really true. Research actually shows that people that have self-compassion uh, work through things more easily, are less likely to do the negative behaviors that they would prefer not to than people that beat themselves up for it. So if in your crabbiness you end up heaping junk on yourself of, oh, I'm so crabby, I'm such a bad mom, I'm scarring my children right now, and you kind of get on that that negative inner self-talk role, then that kind of locks in cement the fact that you're really going to stay crabby versus, you know, I'm just having one of those bad days and kids, you know, sometimes you have those, don't you? Has anybody had a bad day recently? And just giving yourself Self-compassion in front of your kids is a great way to just bring the gospel alive and say, Jesus' love is is here for me now, even no. though I'm so crabby. Yeah. No, that word, self-compassion. Yeah. 
So, and that really is, that leads, I think that's a nice segue into the framework that we teach. Yeah. Um, again, kind of just doing a quick word picture with that, and it's available on our website um, if you want to refer people to that at some point. Okay. Uh, but, you know, the, the, this thinking about how am I thinking about this? What are the what are the voices? What are the what are the repeat phrases that are going on in my mind during my during my chaos? Um, you know that's a part of foundation building. And for us, the, the the framework for parenting well starts with building a strong foundation, which is which is about me, and it's about God, and it's about truth, and it's about discerning truth from lies, and uh, it, it's about you know, being a little bit reflective in Second Corinthians ten five, I think it is, we're invited to take every thought captive to Christ's obedience. Uh, and that's a foundation building thing. And in the middle of chaos, I, I myself uh, have found myself on many occasions just taking that deep breath and saying out loud to myself, this isn't the sort of thinking that's going to help me here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Lord, give me your wisdom for this. And it's just boom, it's just quick. And all of a sudden in that deep breath and in that quick thought and in that quick prayer, you know, some of those loop tapes that play get addressed. Like, it, it, are my kids ever going to grow up? And yeah. is this ever going to be any different? If this keeps up, what if their futures are going to be horrible? I mean, we've got kind of these little subtle tapes playing in the background that fuel our anxiety at moments like that. Do we know what they are? Yeah. Do we get a hold of them? That's foundation building stuff. As I learn to understand um, God's grace and truth for me in the middle of that, I strengthen my foundation. And as I strengthen my foundation, I communicate a message to the people around me that they're safe with me. Yeah. Um, and then out of that place of building a strong foundation, which is never done, the work is never done. I was just talking uh, with a gentleman I was help, helping out on the phone earlier today. And, you know, and he said, so Jim, how, how, how did you arrive? And I was like, I didn't. I haven't yet. <laughs> um, uh, you know, so certainly I've I've learned to do some of this foundation building, and it and it and it helps. But I've still got I've still got my tapes and my stuff from the past. I have a question, real quick, with that. Yeah. So, okay, let's do my scenario that I was telling you guys before we got on. We've been in the car all day. I know the logic tells me my boys are tired. The logic tells me they've been strapped in a car all day. I know they need to have lots of energy, but then the reality is the expectations are we meet up with family to have a dinner at a restaurant and my boys cannot contain that energy. Rightfully so. They haven't had it expended, but they're looking at me. They're being disrespectful. They're being rude. They're being loud. They're hitting. They're crazy. They're literally absolutely nuts. So I feel like the holidays is all these high expectations of our kids to be in situations. And I know my tape is saying, this is true. I know this is how they are. I know this, this scenario is not right for their best behavior. But at the same time, on the other hand, they have to behave because this is a public restaurant. This is like the next thing we're supposed to do in this uh, holiday experience. We can't not go out to eat because we're not at home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So what do we do, you know, where it is, and I know I kind of messed up your framework. We were talking about the framework, but. No, no, no that's fine. We, we can, we can apply the framework to that scenario. Okay. Right. All right. Because, yeah. let's do that because, right the, because the foundation building stuff, I mean, you're getting started on it. Right. Like, like what's going on and what's true and what's not. And, and I think another thing that the foundation does um, is in a moment of reflection says, what's it like to be my kids? 
And, and what do they need from me in order to know that I understand what it's like to be them? Because if I can communicate to them that I understand what it's like to be them, which is empathy, which is connection, yeah. um, then that wins me a position of respect in their lives, of alliance, rather than – because what happens is, is we know what's right as parents, and we know what they need as kids, and we know what's going on in them as kids. And even though they're two or three years old, uh, we could be thinking about how do I – how do I join my? How do I help my child know in the middle of this that I am joining them instead of that I am forcing them or opposing them to do my agenda for their lives? Right, right. So practically speaking, in a restaurant, that looks like kind of you know taking a quick inventory, like you said, of okay, they've been strapped in a car seat, and now I'm going to go attempt them, attempt to strap them in a restaurant booth with invisible straps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when they, their bodies really need something else. Yeah. So uh, the connection can be the empathy of, oh, this is really hard. You guys have been in the car all this time. So let's go, let's see if we can order really quick. And then I'm going to take the ones that are old enough out and run around the outside of the restaurant for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, to get some big energy while dad waits for the food with the baby yeah. or whatever it is. But you, yeah. you, you, you make a plan that, it gives voice to their needs uh, in that situation um, and then help them to get what their bodies need so that they can, they can sit in the restaurant in a helpful way. And an interesting thing is I saw you use, or I heard you use the word disrespectful before and, you know, parents kind of get in this mind, in their mind, well, that's disrespectful and I have to stop it. But really how I would describe that is, your kids were just stressed beyond their capacity to bear, yeah. and that's how they were coping. And it's not like they lost respect for you as parents in that moment. They were just struggling because their nervous systems were out of whack from the long ride. Right. So even taking that word out of your assessment of it can help. Yeah, no, I think that's good, and I think it goes along too. I think some of that disrespect comes when they feel like we're not on the same side. Like it, what what feels like disrespect is probably just a them fighting for their rights when they don't when they feel like this is a battle and not a camaraderie. Yeah, yeah there's an interesting as you start to think about um, what is it like to be my child in the middle of all this, you begin to realize that that oftentimes they're doing the best they know how to do with respect for their internal reality to, to keep it together. Yeah. Which is why, and you've heard parents probably talk about this a lot, kids can, you know, kids can hold it together in Sunday school or in their school day because they're so afraid of what's going to happen if they lose it that they keep it together, keep it, they're under tremendous stress. But they're, they're willing and able to do that uh, holding it together behavior, not out of obedience, but out of fear for what will happen if they don't hold it together, the fear of this great unknown. And so they're doing the best they know how to do, which looks like obedience when in fact it's just a, it's just a protective coping me- mechanism. And then they get home and what happens? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they lose they it. Fall apart. They just yeah. totally fall apart. Why do they do that? Why can't they, why can't they keep it together for the teacher at, uh, for, uh, for my, for the parent at home, like they do for the teacher at school? It's because because they know that if they lose it with their parent, what to expect. Mm. Yeah. Even though it's not pretty, it's within their control because they pretty much can predict how it's going to go. 
and 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 they and they know after it's gone the way it's going to go that mommy or daddy is still going to be around and still going to be with them. Yeah. So in a strange sort of a way, they lose it because it's safe to mm-hmm. do so. My mother once wisely said, pity the child who acts better for his parents than for other people. Mm. Um, that was pretty insightful. So in the restaurant, your kids haven't truly lost respect for you. They know that it's a safe place when they're with you to let off some steam from the car ride. Mm. So acknowledging yeah. that and really giving that voice and then helping them to problem solve. What do your bodies need right now that would, you know, how could we get you some some exercise and some movement while we're waiting for our food. And, yeah. you know, and then they feel joined and they feel understood, first of all, and then they feel joined. And um, a lot of times that makes a huge difference. Where were you guys so, yesterday? I need a hotline. <laughs> <laughs> well, so here, here's the hotline. And this you've okay. heard this before. You've heard this before, Heather, but we like to repeat it over and over again. So what we're going to do, I, I think it would be, in, in uh, what I want to do is just super quickly talk through this framework and how you might have thought and acted differently uh, if that framework was front and center in your thinking okay. when you dealt with this thing with the kids. And okay. you've started, you demonstrated, you started into some of this already. So, so first of all, this framework is it, it builds from the bottom up and it's it's triangular shaped. So so the big part is a base, it's a rectangle at the bottom that holds it all up, it's called the foundation. And the foundation is the stuff I do in me to understand me, to understand how God is working in me. It's the stuff I do to settle myself, to calm myself, to act by faith, uh, um, and to not let myself be driven by my own fear and my own anxiety. It's the part of me where I work to get a hold of what's going on inside of me, and how do I understand that, and how what do I want to do about that? There's growing a strong foundation. We grow out of that to connect with our kids, to make sure they know and hear a message from us that you're loved no matter what. We grow through connection into coaching, which is when we coach our kids, we we set them up to succeed. We invite their brains into the activity of problem solving. Um, A part of our coaching is that we anticipate what's going to happen ahead of time and we practice it in our brains and in our pretend uh, even before things happen sometimes. Um, You know, what coach would just sit down and read his athletes or her athletes a book about the sport and then send them out on the field to play the game. Um, So you create situations and you play with it when the pressure is off so that when the pressure is on, kids have something to to remember, to recall, and to act from. And then the correction part is at the top of this framework. Uh, And in the ideal world, it's a smaller part than the rest because now we're at the top in the little top section. And that's the stuff we as parents do um, to help our kids remember that they're responsible for what they've done and that they, that they have some accountability for their actions. So what parents want to do to help kids um, behave is they correct in a way that inflicts pain or inflicts some negative sort of a consequence, believing that a painful negative consequence, even though the kids might be doing the best they know how to do, is somehow going to motivate them from their hearts to do better in the future. And we haven't found that to be a very effective way to think about this. But what we have thought of as an effective way to think about it is to is to help our kids understand the value of reconciling what they've made wrong by their misbehavior, make right what you've made wrong. Um, but it's also helpful when it's time to correct our kids to cycle right back through these ideas. Like, am I staying calm? Am I staying safe as a parent? Am I being connected with them just a little bit here or there so they know I'm with them, not against them? Am I coaching them, reminding them of past successes so that they know they're capable, they can do this? Um, 
Uh, and then am I correcting them in ways that compel them to make right what they've made wrong rather than just in ways that inflict pain upon them, expecting that to somehow motivate them long term to do better. So there's the framework. And so now we've got ordinary kids who've been in a car all day and who've got grandparents watching them and, and grandparents watching parents. And it's, 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 it's stress it's, upon it's, stress. Yes. It's stress upon stress. The perfect storm. <laughs> And to say out loud to yourself and to the people around you as a foundational thing, man, this is stressful, isn't it? Mm-hmm. How are we going to get through this together? And there's a connective thing that you just did. You said we're in this together. I understand you. I'm empathizing with your stress. Empathy is a deeply connective sort of a thing. And so before we get to the restaurant and it's time to manage all of this, we say, wow, we're going to be to the restaurant in just a little bit. It's going to be great, but that's going to be hard because I bet you will all explode. Remember what we talked about before about how to keep it together? And especially, you know, the younger ones aren't going to get this yet, but the older ones are. And, you know, this isn't a big, long lecture. This is just remember how we practice breathing? Let's all breathe. <sighs> yeah. and, and, and prepare in the coaching way. And so then you get there and the kids are really struggling. Um, <clears throat> You can say, boy, it still is too hard for you, isn't it? So let's let's remove ourselves from this for just a little bit because it's not okay to be in the restaurant acting this way. And uh, tell us again how old your kids are. Uh, 10, 8, 6, and 3. Yeah, so I mean, all of your kids have cognitive abilities developmentally to, 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 to think this way with you if invited to do so in, in more of the proactive moments. You, you can't wait till the heat is on to do all this stuff. We talk through it with our kids and we, we say to them, we're going to, you know, we're going to be on this car ride for a few hours and it's going to be hairy. It's going to be stressful. Yeah. And how are we going to get through it? And what's everybody's thoughts about how we could get, how did you get through it the last time? What was a, what was a past success and how can we build on that? And how did we recognize God was at work in our midst? And how do we want to do that again this time? And, and get you know invite the kids to start talking about these things with you, and uh, very cooperative. That's what I catch from you. Very yeah. we we how are we how are we not? This is what I feel. The stress I feel is I need to control them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What am I going to do? And you guys need to do your part, and I'm doing my part, which is to tell you what to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but One of the- uh, yeah. The- the- one of the phrases that's been really helpful for parents just playing off of what you just said is, you know, to let go of a primary goal of managing behavior and embrace a primary goal of mentoring belief. Mm. You know, it's like my children can believe that they can help solve this problem, that they're competent to say when they need a break and they need to get down yeah. and kind of run around a little bit or go outside or do some push-ups on the 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 seat or something like that. Um, just that that to help them verbalize what they need um, is is really an important skill. And so to have a vision for myself of mentoring those kind of beliefs in kids, if I'm capable of solving this problem and um, I can figure out what my body needs, are important beliefs that reduce a parent's job of trying to manage their kids' behavior because no one likes to feel managed and neither no, do kids. I don't. It's not fun for me either. Yeah, yeah, it's not fun for me that role. Um, I don't feel like I'm fun. I don't feel like they enjoy being around me, and I don't enjoy being around me. <laughs> so yeah. 
So yeah. Well, and, and and what Lynn was just talking about this 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 discipline of mentoring belief rather than forcing behavior. Yeah. Is the piece of this framework that we've found set lots and lots of parents free from even that self condemnation. Like I'm working really hard at getting them to behave, and they're failing, and therefore I'm a failure. Right. Right. Um, versus. I'm going to start working really hard on mentoring belief. Um, you're safe with me. You're loved no matter how this goes. You're God's workmanship. You're capable. You can solve this. And if you decide not to, then you're responsible, and I want to work with you to make things right. When parents make the, the communication of that sort of those messages of belief their primary thing, we hear parent after parent via email uh, in the context of coaching sessions, um, uh, we run into people in the grocery store, yeah. <laughs> and they tell us this way of thinking has transformed our lives. It's it's made us more peaceful as humans and in our household. Wow! Yeah. So a practical example again of this mentoring belief is the belief. Um, you know, it's a key part of our our coach principle or layer of the framework. You know, is a view that our kids are God's workmanship, created in Christ to be a blessing. And so even going into a restaurant, just asking kids the question, okay, what do you think would be one thing you could do in that restaurant to be a blessing to somebody? You know, and maybe it's ask the waitress a question about herself or go say hi to someone that's sitting by themselves or clean up some litter that you find on the floor or something like that. And as kids go into a situation <laughs> focused on a positive goal of being a blessing, it, it, it sort of organizes their brains. It settles their brains and, and really helps them to do so much better than if they're just entering stressed and, you know, wanting to create chaos to, to get those needs met. I think that's really good as we, with the holidays too, you know, it's so can, our kids can be so memey. What am I going to get? What am I going to get? What am I going to get? It can cause a little bit of chaos too when we go mm -hmm. out and about. So to be having them think through more how to be a blessing, I think that's really yeah, good. I was just reading Ed Stetzer's notes from a conference I was at where Ed Stetzer, the president of, I think he's the president or chief researcher at Lifeway or whatever he is. And, and it, basically what he said, and this applies to all people, not just children, but I think it's just so beautiful with children based on what Lynn just said, is that the two most important predictive things you can do with people to disciple them well is one, put the Bible in their hands mm. and two, give them opportunities to serve other people. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Because what's happening when we're serving is, is we're taking our eyes off of self mm -hmm. and we're using God-given gifts for the benefit of somebody else, which really puts us more in alignment with the image of God than maybe any other thing that we can do. Yeah. Like we're doing who we are as an expression of blessing to somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, so good. Okay. Do you want to get into the oh. connection questions? Well, sure. you could, but I want to just play with something once. Okay. How do you predict things might have gone differently for you yesterday if if you had simply thought to yourself before you got in the car to, to go, you know, I don't know how long you drove before you got to the restaurant, but what if you were just recycling in your brain, my goal isn't to get the kids to behave, my goal is to mentor belief, to make them help, help them know they're safe with me, they're loved, Mm. They're, they're God's workmanship, and they're accountable. They're responsible for their for their actions, and I'm going to help them make right things that they've made wrong if they make them wrong. 
what what might have been different for you? I think it would have changed my tone first. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my actions, there was a lot of threatening that I did that weren't any at all related to belief. It was solely about what can I do to get them to do to show some kind of control. And so, um, yeah, I would have changed everything. And I think they would have responded and actually probably their behavior would have been better. I think if the end, if the goal was to get behavior that was falling apart, if the goal was to get changed to mentor belief, I think I would have gotten the good behavior too. Yeah. You, you and we see that time and time. Not always, but even, no. But even, I think in this scenario, thinking through, yeah, it, I don't think that yeah. I think that my bad attitude and my actions only made matters worse. Then they did not. They did not create a nice, wonderful, warm, cozy <laughs> environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not at all. I just had a coaching client yesterday sum up his um, his experience. Saying the thing that I'm just taking away is realizing as I really focus on these messages for the long haul, you're safe, you're loved, you're God's workmanship, and you're responsible for your your actions in your life. As I do that for the long haul, it's going to make a huge difference. In the immediate time, it's probably going to help, but it might not. But I'll still feel good about my parenting because I'm confident in the long haul. It's going to make a huge difference. (laughs) So you've got a car ride coming up again, presumably, in the last two (laughs) days. I guess we got to go home. Unless we uh, buy some plane tickets and just leave the car here. Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to uh, to check in again after that was over and and see how difficult, easy, what difference it made to put these messages more primary as your goals driving down the road. Yeah, or even just this time here, you know, being with family and expectations of of extended family of your children, you know, all of that, and wanting yep. to please everyone and not being able to control a single person. That's mm-hmm. neat. So, yeah. 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 Okay. Do you want to talk about connection? Yeah. Let's turn the corner. Okay. You're the so, boss. I'm the, I'm the boss. Well, we, I mean, I don't want to take up all of your Thanksgiving break on this phone call, but. Well, we got no kids anywhere. We're, <laughs> we're sitting around twiddling our thumbs waiting for somebody to call and uh, podcast. Well, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> so I, I, and if y'all don't get Jim and Lynn's, blog post via email you should because amazing they're just great every time I read one I really it's very helpful to me and uh I saw a bunch on connection and so I was taking notes on them I'm like I need to have them back on the show to talk about this um a couple that stood out to me is what can I do in the moments when I look at my child and I don't even like them how do I (laughs) attempt to connect I want to address that because I struggled with that the most of the two of us because I butted head so much with our oldest son. And, um, you know, for me, a big piece was just the, the commitment to, to power through it and go, I want to connect with him, even when it's really hard. And I, you know, I kind of made up some silly fun things like that, you know, just ways to connect little games um, of trying to say stuff like, you know, just I love you more and do really crazy ways to communicate that. So we, we put some humor in it. But really what I needed most, which I didn't really get uh, for myself in those, those difficult days, was to understand him. Looking back, 
I realized that he was so difficult because he was so anxious inside. Mm. I always thought he was strong-willed and defiant and just wanted to run the family. And as I really understood him, really it wasn't until he was a young adult that I realized, oh my gosh, this kid with his incredibly brilliant brain also has a really high level of anxiety. It wasn't until he was in college that I saw that. And if I could have looked back and understood that when he was really struggling, I know that it would have helped me. Yeah. And as I've coached so many parents, I, I, I understand kids in this way now. They, they don't act you know, difficult because they just prefer negative attention. Yeah. <laughs> There's something stressing them out on the inside. And, you know, misery loves company and so does stress and so does anxiety. And so it's really good that they're trying to draw us into that. Because if they were just retreating to their private space with the difficulties and the stress and the anxiety that they're carrying, that's a far more difficult and dangerous place to be. And so, so if when, you saw, like, now that you know it was anxiety, what, beyond, like, would you think just empathy in itself or would there, how would have that changed your interaction? Well, I think for sure the, the empathy and the compassion would have started me in with a whole different tone. Mm -hmm. And then I would have had more of a perspective of, you know, uh, of how can I help him deal with the anxiety? How can I, you know, just the faith and the love messages would have been really important. Um, how can I help him to verbalize what's going on under the surface so we can deal with it better? And as I've coached parents and helped them get to that place, it's really amazing how things change when they just understand their child better and have compassion. And it's like the child just senses that. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, like there was a mom who whose daughter was so verbally aggressive, she would say horrible things to her mother and she was just spewing and spouting these awful things. And the mom said, I feel like my heart just needs to be connected to yours. And she grabbed her daughter and she pulled her close and just held her. And for the first few seconds, her daughter was still just like raging and shaking and angry. And then she just melted and started sobbing and saying things like, I don't know why I act the way I do. And I'm so sorry. And I don't mean these things that I say to you. And she just like poured out her heart. Mm. And this um, changed. I saw her, you know, in the process coaching her four times over quite an extended period, I saw her change from just wanting to squash all that difficult behavior and so sick of her daughter to having the most amazing compassion on her struggling daughter and the anxiety that she was dealing with and the discouragement that she was dealing with. And she was having some powerfully connective times with her daughter as, she, as the daughter was, was really struggling on this roller coaster of emotions. When I'm thinking back to those tapes, too, like if you mm -hmm. see the behavior and the tape in your head is, well, I've got to stop that child from treating me this way. Right. You can't treat me that way. Like you guys said, that term right. disrespectful. If that's the tape, you mm -hmm. don't think so. If you take that tape out and you say, oh, that poor child, look how they're struggling. Yeah. How can I comfort them? Yeah. I think that there is. And, and I think, too. Sometimes I can be more compassionate and more empathetic when I don't have um, parents or other, you know what I mean? Like my parents, where that generation is more of they just need to behave and be quiet. 
Yeah. So how do you handle that? Like if you maybe have the tape that you need to be compassionate, but you're in an environment where everyone else has a different tape. Yeah. Um, I think the work that you do outside that time Mm -hmm. to settle in on some key beliefs to identify sort of your toxic half truth of this is just all about impressing mom and dad. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. You know, sure. I want, you know, it's great to have my parents' approval, but what's really true in this situation is my child's needs are primary. Yeah. And so to spend some time thinking about this ahead of time so that you've got, we call them sort of hope-filled truths that you can lock onto in the heat of the moment, and then that empowers you to, to go to your parents and just say, I know that this is hard for you to be cooped up with us in the car. Um you know, this is tough for the kids, too. And so I'm really going to work on doing what they need in that situation and sort of speak, you know, bring the elephant out, out you know, talking about the elephant in the room. But this is going to be tough, but my priority is in helping the kids cope with this long ride. Um, yeah. Let me know when you need a gas station and some break and a break from my kids. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's what I'm going to focus on. I, uh, I, I, I wrestled with this a fair bit as a young parent because... I was parenting in a very different way than my parents did. And my, you know, they would watch me and constantly be in judgment of why are you, why are you given that energy? And why don't you just let him deal with it? And why are you, why are you thanking him for doing the right thing? Mm. And, and, and I would feel this nervousness, you know, start to well up. And I would feel that nervousness start to take me off the track that I decided I'd want to run on. And, and I realized I had this tape playing in my brain that, and really probably in my soul that said, um, mommy and daddy have to approve of me in order for me to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as soon as I, I mean, it's almost sounds ridiculous when you say it out loud, right? Like, no, but well, that's the place we operate out of a lot of times. Yeah. So saying it out gathers. loud, yeah. yeah. Saying it out loud was a tremendous help to me to just say to Lynn and to my parents, you know, my job isn't to make you happy with my parenting right now. My job is to work with my kids in the best way that I'm learning how to do, and that's what I'm going to do. So um, if you feel like you can help me with that, great. But if 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 you disagree with what I'm doing, can we talk about that privately later? Because I'm not going to be okay because because you approve of how I'm parenting right now. Mm-hmm. And I said it to my parents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and at, at first it was scary as all get out. And frankly, my therapist prepared me for this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there's that element and, and kind of helped me understand that my parents aren't going to be okay with that at first. But over time, it just gained, you know, it just gained us closeness in the parent-child mm-hmm. relationship as we grew older too. So uh, it was good in both directions. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, that's that. We just went into some deep water there. No, I uh, like it. I think that but, those kinds of things are going to come up again as the holidays come in. It's like, yep. it's like we get a, a lot of those those deep lies that are stuck in our souls come to yep. surface as we interact with family of origin and mm-hmm. the environment that those lies got placed in. Yeah. Yep. So I do think that there's a lot of soul work that's happening in the midst of a really busy time, a really yep. hustle and bustle. Um, chaotic time. And I think that there is this, especially if you're a new parent, making that decision that have that resolve that no, 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 I chose this style and it may go against what I know from my growing up, but these are the reasons why. And almost having that ready, a little pep talk ready so that you aren't reacting and (laughs) yelling at your parents, you know, 
Well, and that's because then that's what happens. And then yeah. your kids are all of a sudden off the hook. You were trying to do them, and now you're <laughs> everyone's fighting with each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. This developing an eye of compassion for the child that you struggle with is is it is it's soul work because I can't just say compassionate things. I have to understand what is it about this child that I like. What are the messages that that I'm playing to me about me, uh, or to or about my child that are judgments. Um, mm-hmm. that are, that are, <laughs> you know, that are lies from the kid. Yeah. You know, this kid will never get it. This kid doesn't respect me. This kid is, is just, you know, even with our youngest and he's okay with us or our oldest, uh, he's okay with us sharing this publicly. I had a loop tape. This kid is a narcissist. He's just mm-hmm. so self-centered. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't, right? <laughs> but <laughs> like that's the thing. Every time, yeah, we would filter everything they do through that. Yeah. yeah. As another proof of that point. Yeah. So when I was able to reframe, he's narcissistic to, he's a three-year-old. He's doing the thing <laughs> developmental, developmentally that firstborn three-year-olds tend to do. Yeah. And it's, it's still, it's got sin in it. And I still want to deal with it, but he's made in God's image too. And so I, I want to draw that out. You know, then that gave me eyes of compassion for mm-hmm. his struggles. Yeah. yeah. It also helps to think how we'd feel if someone had those judgments of us. I was just coaching a, a woman yesterday. And I loved how honest she was. She says, yeah, when my daughter's all crabby and just gets all stuck on one thing that she's complaining about in my head, I'm going, this is ridiculous. Get over it. Just move on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we kind of chuckled about that. And I said, so imagine, let's just try, let's play with this for a little bit. Imagine that you've just been parenting the kids all day and it's been so exasperating and frustrating. And your husband walks in the door and you start to just dump on him and just complain about this, this thing that's just been driving you nuts all day. And he may even answer you with, um, oh, that's too bad, honey. But inside, you know, he's thinking, um, this is just ridiculous. Get over it. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. she just laughed and says, oh my gosh, that would just want to smack him, you know? Um, so we don't even realize the impact of these subtle judgments on our kids, how they change our tone of voice and how we would react if someone was doing the same thing to us. Yeah. No, it's all out. Everything you say is great. Oh, it's like I'm taking a deep breath. Okay. <laughs> So let's say it's one thing if a child's hard and you're butting heads. I think that kind of goes with the complete opposites question mm-hmm. that we were going to talk about. What if you're really trying to connect and it is just not going over? Like all your efforts are just not being received. Yeah. How do you, what do you do there? Um, I had a great experience once watching a horse trainer that gave me some insight into this. And the horse trainer was working with a Mustang who had been ridden for a number of years, but it had been a number of years. And this was skittish. He was backing away. He he did not want to get close to this horse trainer. And she would she was very insightful and safe and calm in how she would do it. She would sort of take a step forward and just wait peacefully. And then if the horse looked at all skittish, she'd take a step backwards. So she was not forcing herself on this horse at all. And she was reading his cues, watching him carefully, and being very thoughtful about the ways in which she kind of took a step forward towards him. 
It was an amazing process, and over about an hour and a half, she was riding him. So I wrote a parenting tip about it that was really kind of fun, but it was just an analogy of don't go barreling in with your agenda about the way you want to connect with your child and then get all hurt when it doesn't work. So, you know, connecting in little ways. Um, and then backing off before your child has a chance to to get upset and angry and push you away. Um, If they see you back away and be sensitive to what their tolerance is, then it makes a huge difference. You send messages to them of, I'm safe. I want to connect with you in ways that you feel enjoyed, you feel connected with. Mm. That's really helpful. I had a woman that I was coaching this process through, and she was, she. I remember the day she was just standing there saying goodbye to me, and she just said, "I just feel like she doesn't care." Mm-hmm. She had a like a seven-year-old daughter who would rebuff any attempt she made to connect, and um, you know, some mom said, "I love you, Greta." The girl would just ignore her and walk off. I mean, it was it, it, she was just dying inside as, as the girl would just wouldn't connect with her. And so I said, so are there any ways that, you know, that you kind of connect with her? Is there anything that you've got in common? Does she like to read or write or draw or whatever? And she thought she loves to read and write, but that just seems to take her farther away from me. Mm. And so I said, well, what about a journal? You know, could you kind of journal back and forth? And so they start, she it's a long story, but, um, you know, initially the girl just acted like she didn't care at all, but they started exchanging journals and then the mom, you know, journaling comments to each other. And then from across the room one day, the mom saw her reading her latest entry with just delight. And she knew that the girl really did care and wanted to receive her mom's love messages, but just couldn't couldn't do that for fear of rejection or that the mom was being insincere. So they had, and there were so many things that this mom did to connect on the daughter's terms. And she talked about one day of having a, a coloring date with her. And every time she tried to talk to her daughter, her daughter would say, shh, shh, shh quiet, mom. <laughs> she had to sit next to her and do nothing except make hot chocolate mm-hmm. for her while the daughter drew. But that was a very meaningful date to her daughter, and that's how their little date started. Over time, they were able to be more verbal with their affection and actually go out on dates. Um, And then as a teenager, there was one time when her daughter was just really struggling with a lot of things, Um, felt like cutting herself. Um, But the mom was with her in it. She got a marker out just to give her something to doodle with, with her hands. And she and the mom took her daughter's arm and wrote on it, "You make me happy." You know, just to lighten it up and, you know, connect with her daughter. And the daughter took the the marker and wrote on her mom's arm, "You are my inspiration." Wow. It was just this tender moment of this mom that had persevered through the years of connecting in ways that this daughter could receive and being faithful and not taking it personally when it didn't work. And it was just, you know, what a picture of God's love for us when, you know, so many times we've rebuffed his love for us and yet he perseveres to find new ways to to connect and express his love for us. So that woman was my inspiration as well and how she persevered with her daughter. It's just, this is all so what enabled this mom, what what enables any parent when when the connection is difficult um, to to move into a position of being welcomed rather than rebuffed by their kids is 
um, is to is to figure out what is it what does it take to be safe for this child. Mm. Um, yeah. how, how, so and and a big piece of what it takes to be safe is for me as a parent to let go of my agenda and my need to make this connection. The reason that I want to connect with my kids isn't to make me happy. I, I, I want, ideally, to come to the relationship with my kids filled up with connection with Jesus, connection in my important community, because, frankly, it's false for me. It's, it's, I don't know if false is the right word, but it's, it's not the role of a child to fill their parents' love bucket. Right, right. There can be some negative connection. You could be super connected to your kid, and it's not... Yeah, so, so, yeah. I don't, so what, what does it take for me as a parent... Um, to come to my child not needy so that when I attempt to connect, if it didn't work, I can still say, you know what, I did my best that time. And I can say it to my child, I'm doing my best to connect with you. And it seems you don't want that right now. Is there anything that I could do that you would like? No. So I was working with a dad that described just like that. Okay, I'm getting, it. I mean, this big guy, a bearded guy and, and, and real strong personality. And his deal was, okay, I've done all this stuff you said. I've let go of my worth. I don't need her to connect with me in order for me to be okay. But I still want to connect with her. And she still needs to know I love her, right? Yeah. Like, well, it'd be good, huh? And, and yeah, well, how's that working? Well, I keep telling her I want to do it. And it keeps scaring her away. <laughs> Well, okay. So, um, good step one, you're, you've, you've divorced yourself from needing this. Uh, you're still a little frustrated that it isn't working. How, what, how might you connect with her on her terms? Oh, I don't know. There's nothing. All she does is text messages her friends. She got all these new phones and all she does is text messages her friends all the time and uses all these new technologies and I have no idea about any of it. And he's got, you know, you can hear the judgment in his voice. And I just said, so do you think that she would ever have any interest in teaching you how to use that stuff? Mm-hmm. And he was dead quiet. Like what? And I was like, well, what would happen if you just invited her? You know, told her that that's amazing that she knows all that stuff, and asked her to teach you one of them. Yeah. But she did. And then a week, and you know, nothing much. He and he went away. That was like his assignment for for that time was to was to just go ask his daughter to teach him technology. So he went away and she taught and I didn't see him for a couple of weeks. And then he, he came back and we talked again and, I, and he was beaming. And I said, what happened? And he said, she texted me. <laughs> <laughs> and they had been at a, you know, a community event and, and uh, he, he kind of um, was watching her from a distance and she didn't want to be near him around her friends, you know, of course, but he disappeared. And all of a sudden she texted him and said, daddy, where are you? Aww. So. So he knew she was watching and paying attention and he had sent her other texts, you know, I love you and it's fun to see with your friends and whatever. She wouldn't let her anywhere, wouldn't let him anywhere near them. But then when he disappeared, she noticed the connection was happening because he dropped his need and then he had started to find a way that, that worked for her that yeah. wasn't driven by how, what he needs. Yeah. I like all these examples you guys have said, even just the marker on the arm and the journaling back and forth. And I think that sometimes we just think I need to take them out on a date. Yeah. Right. That's like our only option we come up with. Um, right. I know I've just built Legos next to one of my sons. Like he yeah. really loves to take old Lego manuals and pull them out and rebuild. We have all of them, but they're all mixed in with all the other <laughs> Legos. So half of the journey is finding the piece in the big pile. So we'll divide and conquer and he'll tell me what piece to find. And that can be ours. Yeah. But he just loves I, to just sit and do that. 
I had a big thing going to start. I had a big learning. I had a big, big learning with that when our oldest was about, well, I don't know how old was he, five when I took him to the boat show. Oh, right. So, I, so connection was hard for, I can't remember why, um, but I, I decided I'm going to connect with him. Mm-hmm. And I love fishing and I love all things outdoors. So I'm going to take him to the, to the fishing and outdoor show in Minnesota in the spring where they have all the latest, greatest fishing equipment and the latest, greatest boats and the latest, greatest camping equipment, all the stuff that I love. Now, there's a whole auditorium full of stuff I don't care about, um, but it's a big auditorium. So I was going to bring him to my stuff. Well, when we got there, all he cared about was was docks. I don't care about docks. He wanted to get on a pontoon boat. We're never going to have a pontoon boat. That's not practical. He wanted to go. He wanted to go in trailer campers, which have, like, we camp. We go to the Boundary Water Wilderness people. We're not going to have one of those car camping things. So I have all these judgments planned, and we're fighting more and more and more. And all of a sudden, I realize, oh, my goodness, what am I doing? Yeah. I'm forcing. And I just decided, you know what? Today is his. And you don't have to do this for a whole day. You can do this for moments at a time. You can do this for hours at a time, or you can do it for a day. Um, But I'm going to give you the day. And even though I don't know you very well and, I, and I've had a hard time connecting with you on my terms, I'm going to connect with you on your terms. And so that's what we did. And we, we had, I mean, once I, once I dropped my agenda and made a new agenda to connect with him on his terms, it was no longer difficult to connect. It was only difficult to connect because I had driven it by mm-hmm. me. One of the things that helps parents with connecting with kids, too, because sometimes parents go, I don't have time. I got five kids or yeah. um, and the Whatever. holidays and all that jazz. And the holidays is, is I just got a, a letter or an email from a woman who's followed us for a while, and she said that one of the most transformational things in their family for connection was she just was committed to being enthusiastic when a child entered the room or she entered the room the child was in. Yeah. So it might just be, hey, hon, how you doing? Or walking by, oh, I see you reading your book. You know, that's cool. And she you just gave examples of little comments of just enthusiasm when she saw a child. Um, and she's talked about her kids were starting to do the same things. And she even would said, and even their tone of voice and, and the lilts in their voice are just like mine when I do it. And it's so amazing to watch. And she said her kids, when they, like one of them leaves the house, another one will come running over, give them a hug and have fun where you're going. And, and I looked at ages of their kids and they were like 10 to 14. And I thought, well, that's not usually the age that kids do that with each other. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what an amazing thing. And she just was committed to that one thing, and it just transformed the tone in her family because there were so many little opportunities to do it that took no extra major time throughout the day, but just a quick acknowledgement. Wow. So it's a weave connection through the day and communicate to kids that important message. I don't just love you because I'm some super responsible parent, but I enjoy you because you are so enjoyable. Well, and that's, that's something really, that you could do in the midst of crazy Christmas. I mean, yeah, to keep your eyes up off your list and your phone and your next thing that has to get done and just, you know, enjoy your people. <laughs> it yeah, seems right? so simple yeah. and silly, but that well, we can get and, so and caught in, up that well, we forget well, our people. How much of, and then how much of your list is, is, oriented toward, you know, coming well prepared to the larger family gathering, which yeah. means it's going to be a blessing to the rest of the family. So, you know, we tend to think of our list as our list, yeah. meaning individually, but it's really our list as a family. And, and mm-hmm. I mean, your kids are old enough when kids are five years old or older to involve them in the conversation. What do we want to do to be ready for Christmas? 
Yeah. And whose job should be what? And who wants to help make this? And who yeah. wants to help make that? And who wants to do this together? And yeah, who? How can we be a blessing? Our ki- our youngest was two, and he could hardly talk, but boy, could he draw. And so we set our kids up to, to own the gift giving at Christmas. By we just bought plain white paper for wrapping, and then they drew pictures all over the packages. Fabulous. And so then Grandma got this cool gift, but she got it wrapped in this unique drawing that was just the most special part of the present to her. Mm. So just little ways of looking at, for incorporating kids into being a blessing in the holidays, again, can just change the tone for everyone. Because when people are living out their God-given nature to be a blessing, they just don't have the emotional energy left to put as much energy into being an irritant to their sibling or to someone else. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So much good stuff. I just love it. We could talk all day, I think, pretty much. <laughs> I think we could. That's probably true. <laughs> well, y'all, I'm so thankful. What um, resources? I know that you have an online course available through Connected Families. When is that next up? I know that it's a seasonal thing. Yeah, so we run, we're actually. Um, going to launch two online courses, two different ones in early in the year. Okay. Uh, so if you're on our email list at connectedfamilies.org and sign up to get our blogs, you'll, you'll get to um, find out as soon as we're ready when those online courses launch. One is called the Discipline That Connects Online Course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it really is a lot of, of um, Lynn and me talking in sort of some of the ways we're talking now, very focused on these four messages of discipline, like, The goal of discipline is to communicate messages, even more importantly than to gain behavior. What are those messages and how can we um, be thoughtful about building those those messages of belief into our kids when they have misbehaved? Uh, It's a six-session course. It'll come out in mid – we'll probably start – I I would guess we'll probably start advertising that in early January, mid-January. And then we've got another one that we're developing that we're very excited about. It's – um, uh, called what? What are we named it now? <laughs> well, we, we we don't have the subtitle yet, but it's about sibling conflict. Yeah, it's about sibling oh. conflict and something like from bickering to bonding or from. Yeah, that's good. That, <laughs> I, okay, tell me when I can sign up for that. Yeah, our original subtitle was from cellmates to soulmates, and we thought, no, that's probably not. A little too much for those parents whose kids have been locked up. Yeah, yeah. That's, that, might that's really looking, that might be too looking, personal. It's about looking for the incredible opportunity within sibling conflict to raise kids that can have healthy, wonderful, joy-filled relationships with each other, but with others throughout their lives, and it's just it's central training ground for parents. And so we have lots of practical tools in that one to help grow their kids in relationship skills as well as conflict resolution skills. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, we we have great joy in watching our grown kids be best friends. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were very intentional about that from the beginning. By the time they got to be teenagers, they they would choose to be together as much as they would choose most of the time to be with with other friends because they just had such a great relationship. And they have great friendships outside of, it's not like they're just clustered. <laughs> they have tons of friends, but they value time together just very highly. Great. So those are the two online courses. Um, and y'all do coaching? Yeah, we do parent coaching. We have a couple of books. 
Yeah, but parent, we, we do parent coaching um, both live and via Skype. So probably half our clients are out of state or out of our region. We've coached actually coached people around the world and uh, mm-hmm. have had particular joy in being able to provide coaching to missionary families who who tell us the coaching has kept them on the field. Wow, that's huge. <laughs> Which is, yeah, that's a blessing and an honor for us to be a part of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I'll make yeah, sure to couple, put, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, um, we've got a couple of books we've written that are available through our website. And uh, one of them is going to be published soon, so it's not available on Amazon or anywhere else for that matter, but our website, uh, because a, a traditional publisher picked it up. Uh, that's the book, Discipline That Connects, and then uh, a little bit more of a broad stroke. And it's all through the lens of these principles we've talked about today, this framework we call the Connected Families Framework. The four messages are the messages of discipline that that are, are partners to the principles in the Connected Families Framework. So, yeah, visit the website at connectedfamilies.org and play around. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Connected Families Podcast. We hope you got tips that you can use in your parenting today. Please subscribe and leave us a positive review so other families can find us and learn how to parent with peace and connection.